0: section 41 of volume 1e of history of england from the invasion of julius caesar to the revolution of 1688 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org history of england from the invasion of julius caesar to the revolution of 1688 by david hume volume 1e section 41 chapter 59 part 1 chapter 59 charles i the dominion of the parliament was of short duration no sooner had they subdued their sovereign than their own servants rose against them and tumbled them from their slippery throne the sacred boundaries of the laws being once violated nothing remained to confine the wild projects of zeal and ambition, and every successive revolution became a precedent for that which followed it. In proportion, as the terror of the king's power diminished, the division between independent and Presbyterian became every day more apparent, and the neuters found it at last requisite to seek shelter in one or the other faction many new writs were issued for elections in the room of members who had died or were disqualified by adhering to the king yet still the presbyterians retained the superiority among the commons and all the peers except lord say were esteemed of that party the independents to whom the inferior sectaries adhered predominated in the army, and the troops of the new model were universally infected with that enthusiastic spirit. To their assistance did the independent party among the commons chiefly trust in their projects for acquiring the ascendant over their antagonists. Soon after the retreat of the Scots, The Presbyterians, seeing everything reduced to obedience, began to talk of diminishing the army, and on pretence of easing the public burdens, they levelled a deadly blow at the opposite faction. They purposed to embark a strong detachment, under Skippen and Massey, for the service of Ireland. They openly declared their intention of making a great reduction of the remainder it was even imagined that another new model of the army was projected in order to regain to the presbyterians that superiority which they had so impudently lost by the former the army had small inclination to the service of ireland a country barbarous uncultivated and laid waste by massacres and civil commotions they had less inclination to disband and to renounce that pay which having earned it through fatigues and dangers they now purposed to enjoy in ease and tranquillity and most of the officers having risen from the dregs of the people had no other prospect if deprived of their commission than that of returning to languish in their native poverty and obscurity These motives of interest acquired additional influence and became more dangerous to the Parliament, from the religious spirit by which the army was universally actuated. Among the generality of men educated in regular civilized societies, the sentiments of shame, duty, honor, have considerable authority, and serve to counterbalance and direct the motives derived from private advantage. But by the predominancy of enthusiasm among the parliamentary forces, these salutary principles lost their credit, and were regarded as mere human inventions. Yea, moral institutions, fitter for heathens than for Christians. The saint, resigned over to superior guidance, was at full liberty to gratify all his appetites, disguised under the appearance of pious zeal and besides the strange corruptions engendered by this spirit it eluded and loosened all the ties of morality and gave entire scope and even sanction to the selfishness and ambition which naturally adhere to the human mind the military confessors were further encouraged in disobedience to superiors by that spiritual pride to which a mistaken piety is so subject they were not they said mere janizaries mercenary troops enlisted for hire and to be disposed of at the will of their paymasters religion and liberty were the motives which had excited them to arms and they had a superior right to see those blessings which they had purchased with their blood, insured to future generations. By the same title that the Presbyterians, in contradistinction to the Royalists, had appropriated to themselves the epithet of godly, or the well-affected, the Independents did now, in contradistinction to the Presbyterians, assume this magnificent appellation and arrogate all the ascendant which naturally belongs to it. Hearing of parties in the House of Commons, and being informed that the minority were friends to the army, the majority enemies, the troops naturally interested themselves in that dangerous distinction, and were eager to give the superiority to their partisans. Whatever hardships they underwent, though perhaps derived from inevitable necessity, were ascribed to a settled design of oppressing them, and resented as an effect of the animosity and malice of their adversaries. Notwithstanding the great revenue which accrued from taxes, assessments, sequestrations, and compositions, considerable arrears were due to the army and many of the private men as well as officers had near a twelve months' pay still owing to them the army suspected that this deficiency was purposely contrived in order to oblige them to live at free quarters and by rendering them odious to the country serve as a pretence for disbanding them when they saw such members as were employed in committees and civil offices accumulate fortunes they accused them of rapine and public plunder and as no plan was pointed out by the commons for the payment of arrears the soldiers dreaded that after they should be disbanded or embarked for ireland their enemies who predominated in the two houses would entirely defraud them of their right and oppress them with impunity On this ground or pretense did the first commotions begin in the army a petition addressed to Fairfax the general was handed about craving an indemnity and that ratified by the king for any illegal actions of which during the course of the war the soldiers might have been guilty together with satisfaction in arrears freedom from pressing relief of widows and maimed soldiers, and pay till disbanded. The commons, aware of what combustible materials the army was composed, were alarmed at this intelligence. Such a combination, they knew, if not checked in its first appearance, must be attended with the most dangerous consequences, and must soon exalt the military above the civil authority." Besides summoning some officers to answer for this attempt, they immediately voted that the petition tended to introduce mutiny, to put conditions upon the Parliament, and to obstruct the relief of Ireland, and they threatened to proceed against the promoters of it as enemies to the State and disturbers of public peace. This declaration, which may be deemed violent, Especially as the army had some ground for complaint, produced fatal effects. The soldiers lamented that they were deprived of the privileges of Englishmen, that they were not allowed so much as to represent their grievances, that while petitions from Essex and other places were openly encouraged against the army, their mouths were stopped, and that they who were the authors of liberty to the nation were reduced by a faction in Parliament, to the most grievous servitude. In this disposition was the army found by Warwick, Dacres, Massey, and other commissioners, who were sent to make them proposals for entering into the service of Ireland. Instead of enlisting, the generality objected to the terms, demanded an indemnity, were clamorous for their arrears, and... Though they expressed no dissatisfaction against Skippon, who was appointed commander, they discovered much stronger inclination to serve under Fairfax and Cromwell. Some officers who were of the Presbyterian party, having entered into engagement for this service, could prevail on very few of the soldiers to enlist under them and as these officers lay all under the grievous reproach of deserting the army, and betraying the interests of their companions, the rest were further confirmed in that confederacy which they had secretly formed. To petition and remonstrate being the most cautious method of conducting of confederacy, an application to Parliament was signed by near two hundred officers, in which they made their apology with a very imperious air asserted their right of petitioning and complained of that imputation thrown upon them by the former declaration of the lower house the private men likewise of some regiments sent a letter to skippon in which together with insisting on the same topics they lament that designs were formed against them and many of the godly party in the kingdom, and declare that they could not engage for Ireland till they were satisfied in their expectations, and had their just desires granted. The army, in a word, felt their power, and resolved to be masters. The Parliament, too, resolved, if possible, to preserve their dominion, but being destitute of power, and not retaining much authority, it was not easy for them to employ any expedient which could contribute to their purpose. The expedient which they now made use of was the worst imaginable. They sent Skippon, Cromwell, Ireton, and Fleetwood to the headquarters at Saffron Walden, in Essex and empowered them to make offers to the army and inquire into the cause of its distempers these very generals at least the three last were secretly the authors of all the discontents and failed not to foment those disorders which they pretended to appease by their suggestion a measure was embraced which at once brought matters to extremity and rendered the mutiny incurable. In opposition to the Parliament at Westminster, a military Parliament was formed, together with a council of the principal officers which was appointed after the model of the House of Peers. A more free representative of the army was composed by the election of two private men or inferior officers under the title of agitators, from each troop or company by this means both the general humor of that time was gratified intent on plans of imaginary republics and an easy method contrived for conducting underhand and propagating the sedition of the army this terrible court when assembled having first declared that they found no distempers in the army but many grievances under which it laboured, immediately voted the offers of the Parliament unsatisfactory. Eight weeks' pay alone, they said, was promised, a small part of fifty-six weeks, which they claimed as their due. No visible security was given for the remainder, and having been declared public enemies by the Commons, they might thereafter be prosecuted as such, unless the declaration were recalled. Before matters came to this height, Cromwell had posted up to London, on pretense of laying before the Parliament the rising discontents of the army. The Parliament made one vigorous effort more, to try the force of their authority. They voted that all the troops which did not engage for Ireland should instantly be disbanded in their quarters. At the same time, the Council of the Army ordered a general rendezvous of all the regiments in order to provide for their common interests, and while they thus prepared themselves for opposition to the Parliament, they struck a blow which at once decided the victory in their favour. A party of five hundred horse appeared at Holdenby, conducted by one Joyce, who had once been a tailor by profession. BUT WAS NOW ADVANCED TO THE RANK OF CORNET, AND WAS AN ACTIVE AGITATOR IN THE ARMY. WITHOUT BEING OPPOSED BY THE GUARD, WHOSE AFFECTIONS WERE ALL ON THEIR SIDE, JOYCE CAME INTO THE KING'S PRESENCE, ARMED WITH PISTOLS, AND TOLD HIM THAT HE MUST IMMEDIATELY GO ALONG WITH HIM. WHITHER, SAID THE KING. TO THE ARMY, REPLIED JOYCE. BY WHAT WARRANT, ASKED THE KING joyce pointed to the soldiers whom he brought along tall handsome and well accoutred your warrant said charles smiling is writ in fair characters legible without spelling the parliamentary commissioners came into the room they asked joyce whether he had any orders from the parliament he said no from the general no by what authority he came he made the same reply as to the king they would write they said to the parliament to know their pleasure you may do so replied joyce but in the meantime the king must immediately go with me resistance was in vain the king after protracting the time as long as he could went into his coach and was safely conducted to the army who were hastening their rendezvous at Triplo Heath near Cambridge the parliament informed of this event by their commissioners were thrown into the utmost consternation fairfax himself was no less surprised at the king's arrival that bold measure executed by joyce had never been communicated to the general the orders were entirely verbal and nobody avowed them and while every one affected astonishment at the enterprise, Cromwell, by whose counsel it had been directed, arrived from London and put an end to their deliberations. This artful and audacious conspirator had conducted himself in the Parliament with such profound dissimulation, with such refined hypocrisy, that he had long deceived those who, being themselves very dexterous practitioners in the same arts, should naturally have entertained the more suspicion against others. At every intelligence of disorders in the army, he was moved to the highest pitch of grief and of anger. He wept bitterly. He lamented the misfortunes of his country. He advised every violent measure for suppressing the mutiny, and by these precipitate counsels at once seemed to evince his own sincerity and inflamed those discontents of whom he intended to make advantage. He obtested heaven and earth that his devoted attachment to the Parliament had rendered him so odious in the army, that his life while among them was in the utmost danger, and he had very narrowly escaped a conspiracy formed to assassinate him. But information being brought that the most active officers and agitators were entirely his creatures, the parliamentary leaders secretly resolved that next day when he should come to the house, an accusation should be entered against him, and he should be sent to the tower. Cromwell, who in the conduct of his desperate enterprises frequently approached to the very brink of destruction, knew how to make the requisite turn with proper dexterity and boldness being informed of this design he hastened to the camp where he was received with acclamations and was instantly invested with the supreme command both of general and army fairfax having neither talents himself for cabal nor penetration to discover the cabals of others had given his entire confidence to cromwell who by the best colored pretences and by the appearance of an open sincerity and a scrupulous conscience imposed on the easy nature of this brave and virtuous man the council of officers and the agitators were moved altogether by cromwell's direction and conveyed his will to the whole army by his profound and artful conduct, he had now attained a situation where he could cover his enterprises from public view, and seeming either to obey the commands of his superior officer, or yield to the movements of the soldiers, could secretly pave the way for his future greatness. While the disorders of the army were yet in their infancy, he kept a distance, lest his counterfeit aversion might throw a damp upon them or his secret encouragement beget suspicion in the Parliament. As soon as they came to maturity, he openly joined the troops, and in the critical moment struck that important blow of seizing the king's person and depriving the Parliament of any resource of an accommodation with him. Though one visor fell off, another still remained to cover his natural countenance where delay was requisite he could employ the most indefatigable patience where celerity was necessary he flew to a decision and by thus uniting in his person the most opposite talents he was enabled to combine the most contrary interests in a subserviency to his secret purposes the parliament though at present defenceless was possessed of many resources and time might easily enable them to resist that violence with which they were threatened without further deliberation therefore cromwell advanced the army upon them and arrived in a few days at st albans nothing could be more popular than this hostility which the army commenced against the parliament as much as that assembly was once the idol of the nation as much was it now become the object of general hatred and aversion the self-denying ordinance had no longer been put in execution than till essex manchester waller and the other officers of that party had resigned their commission immediately after it was laid aside by tacit consent and the members sharing all offices of power and profit among them proceeded with impunity in exercising acts of oppression on the helpless nation. Though the necessity of their situation might serve as an apology for many of their measures, the people, not accustomed to such a species of government, were not disposed to make the requisite allowances. A small supply of one hundred thousand pounds a year could never be obtained by former kings from the jealous humor of parliaments and the english of all nations in europe were the least accustomed to taxes but this parliament from the commencement of the war according to some computations had levied in five years above forty millions yet were loaded with debts and encumbrances which during that age were regarded as prodigious If these computations should be thought much exaggerated as they probably are the taxes and impositions were certainly far higher than in any former state of the english government and such popular exaggerations are at least a proof of popular discontents but the disposal of this money was no less the object of general complaint against the parliament than the levying of it the sum Of three hundred thousand pounds they openly took it is affirmed and divided among their own members the committees to whom the management of the different branches of revenue were entrusted never brought in their accounts and had unlimited power of secreting whatever sums they pleased from the public treasure these branches were needlessly multiplied in order to render the revenue more intricate to share the advantages among greater numbers, and to conceal the frauds of which they were universally suspected. End of section 41, chapter 59, part 1.